0: Hello, hello, and welcome to this Larry Bird edition of, of Great Quarter Guys, episode thirty three. I am Andrew Cox. This is my boss and my friend, my man Kevin Hill. How are we, Kevin? We're doing
1: great today. Why is it Larry Bird is number thirty three? Yeah, he 33 number thirty three. That was Larry Bird's number.
0: That's right. Or uh, Kareem Abdul Jabbar. He also wore number thirty three. Got a bunch of a bunch of famous old uh, number you, 33s you back in the day, back in those seventies uh, and eighties days. Not, not too many people wear it anymore. They're... Yeah, I,
1: I don't know. I'm trying to think of a, a baseball player that wears thirty three, and I can't. Yeah, it's I can't really remember popping any, any any famous ones. It's funny how that. just like, I
0: think it not only it's certain players, but it's certain numbers that, that stick out in your mind for me. Like, I, I, you know, of course, you think of 24, I think of Kobe, but I also think mm-hmm. of eight, I think of Kobe. But, you know, 23, you got Jordan, of course. Jordan, uh, Gretzky's, what, 87? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you, you know, you get these certain numbers that stick out, and I yeah. guess they do have to do with the player, yeah. but I don't Mickey know. Mickey Mantle was seven. Seven, yeah, yeah. of course, Mantle. Yeah. Yeah, some good ones. Johnny Bench was 5 along with George Brett. Johnny Bench. How I that that's the number you pick out for 5. You remember Johnny Bench? The one?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean I grew up in the I grew up, I the you, A, I, I grew up when they hey when day. we only had 3 3 choices to, to to choose from on TV and the baseball bunch with the San Diego Chicken and Johnny Bench came on every Saturday morning. San Diego Chicken. I have no idea what you're talking yeah. about. It's still one of my dad's favorite, favorite shows. You're way before my yeah.
0: time on that and one.
1: And ESPN did a, a great documentary not too long ago on Johnny Bench and kind of his life now and, and kind of the, the. He's probably the greatest catcher of all time. So, not to get into a Johnny Bench and Cincinnati Reds yeah. tangent, but here I uh, am well, uh, in, in the middle of it. Yeah, well, well,
0: we'll come back to Johnny Bench at some point. Uh, <laughs> all right, so let's hop into that Bank of America, that consumer spending data we've been talking about uh, for the last few weeks, and we, we can kind of tie it into the Commerce Department's. Um, retail data that they brought out, I think it was this morning, actually. Uh, so Kevin and I made a bet last week that we would see total card spending positive year over year at some point in June. At least I, one day. I almost got it on the very first almost. day of June. June 1st, we were only down uh, 1%, which is close. Uh, it did trail off a little bit after that. Uh, it probably averages about 4 or 5% down total card spending year over year for the final week that we have the data. Let's look at retail, retail excluding autos is back in positive territory. That's a good sign. It had kind of slumped down a little bit in the last week of May. Uh, again, continue to smash is online electronics, total online retail, uh, furniture spending and home improvement. Those are all smashing numbers. Uh, and then let's talk a little bit about that retail data that came out from the Commerce Department. It uh, roared back in, in May, uh, up 17.7% sequentially from April to May. But again, that's being after down uh, almost 15% in, in uh, May and 8%. In March, or I'm sorry, eight percent in April uh, so it came
1: back to just about even.
0: Right, just about know, after even. April. Uh, which, but they did give the year-over-year number. It's six percent down year-over-year uh, for May, which is, is not terrible, honestly. Like for, for to be in this sort of recession and to be in this sort of 13 percent unemployment, 40 million Americans initial jobless claims. I don't think that's that bad.
1: I don't think it's that bad either. It could be a whole lot worse. And looking at the Bank of America data, uh, it kind of lines up a little bit with that as well, right? You have a, a lot of, you know, you're trending, you know, June, June 1st, negative 1% down on, on total credit card or total card spending, which right. includes credit card and debit card. And uh, and as of six six, which is the last day on the chart, here is negative ten percent. I think the new numbers come out tomorrow or, or uh, Thursday. Thursday yeah, right, yeah, we'll Th- Thursday. Thursday. That's right,
0: Thursday mornings. Uh, yeah, and, and, you know, on that Commerce Department number though, auto sales jumped forty four percent. This is again after the worst month ever in April. Uh, so, it, you know, it's to be expected, but forty four percent is massive. Uh, so, if you you know the the sales excluding auto was up four it was up twelve percent uh, in May. So, I mean, autos make up about a fifth. Of, of total retail
1: spending in the U.S. It, it does, and, and basically, it about two hours ago, we were on the the, the midday market update that, that we do, doing headlines from FrontWaves.com, and we had breaking news this morning where Volvo had trimmed down about a thousand white collar workers. Yeah, forty-one no, hundred. For, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. forty-one hundred white collar workers, and and that that's after a lot of layoffs and, and furloughs. Yeah, you've seen it across the board. Yeah. Uh, Renaults yeah. and
0: uh, Continental have also laid off uh, thousands of workers. Renault laid off fifteen thousand workers uh, last month. Uh, so the auto industry is is definitely you know they're they're slimming down. I think they're they're going to be yeah, looking at, at a I slimmer think, future. I, I
1: think your yearly or annual uh, auto sales are probably close to a peak in, in the U.S. I think they've, they've reached, reached that that saturation level. Uh, you know, you had a, a huge population uh, segment, the baby boomers. Who are you know getting to the age where they can't really drive or shouldn't right. drive yeah, shouldn't. a lot, or or, or they've passed away. Uh, and, and then to the new trends from the, the younger generations. Yeah, waiting a lot longer to, uh, to get, lot get their longer, license and, and they're
0: waiting a lot longer to start families. So they're mm-hmm. only buying one car. And it's typically, that's why that crossover SUV has become the, by, by far the most dominant car in the market uh, because people, you know, people like me are waiting longer to have kids. And when they do have kids, they only have one or two. They have no need for this I, minivan anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I remember like six months leading up to my 16th birthday. All I could think of oh, was, me I am going to drive. And that morning I turned 16. It was probably the only morning in my teenage years where I woke up before 6 a.m. Yeah, right. You know, because I I was raring to go. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of kids out there today that... Uh, have no interest in in getting the license the day they turn 16. Yeah, and I mean, that is crazy to me.
0: I mean, I guess it's just situational. I lived 45 minutes away from school, so it was like, I was very much looking forward to not riding with my mom every day. It was, I I wanted to get in the car, but I guess nowadays, you know, kids are carpooling, or they're taking Ubers, or uh, I just, I don't know. I I don't know what the reason is. Kids are waiting longer, but it's like a significant percentage. It's like, only Mm -hmm. 50% of their kids get it within six months of their 16th birthday. Now it's like, which is so much different than what it was uh, a few few Years ago, but uh, let, let's let's get to our, our show today. We've got a couple of discussions. The first one is just a quick discussion, really, on uh, the the rise of alternative data. With this comes on the heels of us doing a, a paper in partnership with Transplace on Black Swan events and on COVID nineteen and kind of how uh, a lot of companies are looking for alternative sources of data to to get uh, to, to get ahead of the curve. Uh, and also, this also comes on the back of this funny tweet and story I saw yesterday from a Jeffries. Uh, a uh, Jeffrey's analyst who has been flying back and forth between Beijing and Shanghai uh, almost solo. I mean, he's doing this I think a couple times a week to, to, to try to uh, gauge load volumes on uh, on commercial flights between the two major Chinese hubs. Which I find one is hilarious. Uh, two, it's it makes a lot of sense because there's a lot of distrust with the data that comes out of China. They, they often and have been known to to flub some of the data. So I just think it's hilarious. This dude is is, is spending three or four hours a day flying back and forth from Shanghai uh, to Beijing, but. But so that that got us thinking about alternative data and, and why we should uh, talk about it, because it's become such a such a big part of a lot of especially uh, investment firms and financial uh, analysts has become a big part of their uh, about what they do. So, Kevin, you want to give us just a, a brief overview? What would you consider alternative data? What, what's your definition of it?
1: Yeah, it is. And the, the hedge fund land asset managers really were the the. The, the, the innovators of this, right? They're the early major- innovators and earlier majority. And, you know, just like I was telling Michael Vincent, uh, you know, alternative music goes mainstream. And all of a sudden it becomes, becomes mainstream. Ah, so it's point. this evolution of alternative data. And you have, like, big data, mega data, or metadata that uh, is now, uh, you know, available to, to more and more people. Mm-hmm. And, and so you're looking at traffic patterns. You're, you're looking at uh, you know all kinds of satellite images, uh, down to e, you know in, in trucking certainly ELD information, and and you can make real time predictions, electronic tenders, and sonar. In a lot of ways, is that the alternative data that gives you real time or near real time information. So that's one category. The other category is like the Jefferies analyst is is the old gumshoe type of uh, beating the street alternative data and it's something that when I lived in New York I worked for a couple firms uh, merger market being one where we had journalists who covered mergers and acquisition type of of possibilities and it was really market knowledge and then another one which was an investment research firm uh, created uh, and and founded by former business journalists who did investigative reports on different industries different companies board of directors and we do really in-depth uh, studies and in, in interviews that we transcribed and gave to hedge funds, uh, so they could have you know a lot of a, you know a lot of times we were calling them mattress companies and seeing what the sales what the salespeople thought. Uh, the volume of sales and the quality and the customer reaction uh, of new products in those mattress stores, which is is crazy, but that is alternative data. I think the first
0: example of alternative data that I ever heard of was, I think it came from you, it was either you or Seth you you told me about how uh, an investment firm would uh, study uh, private flight patterns and private flight uh, logs to, to see uh, yes. where, you know, if you saw one coming out of Omaha, you knew that you, you might know that Warren Buffett was on the move and looking for a for an M&A deal or something and that I mean, that's just crazy to me that, that that's, that's what people track, and people that's become prominent now. So many people do it that it's almost not, not really worth looking at anymore. Uh, you're not really getting an edge on it,
1: but it, that's, mm-hmm. that's just it's crazy to me. Yeah, and, and so you're looking at different edges, so, so different alternative data type of assets uh, keep popping into existence because everyone's looking for that competitive advantage. And in the financial world where information asymmetry is the key to making alpha, a lot of financial right. terms there, yeah. right? That yeah. Making above-market returns— mm-hmm. Uh, and, and all the money pouring into to, to, to hedge funds and and private asset managers, you're going to find this game of cat and mouse and trying to find competitive advantages uh, everywhere. And it goes back to like like if you if you have ever seen Wall Street, you know yeah. Sh- yep. Charlie Sheen is is following the guy around, which is kind of the, the yeah, same concept of, similar, of yeah. looking at private flight log to see where executives are going if they're meeting with other companies mm-hmm. it's the same thing and you're just always looking for an edge which I don't think there's anything illegal about following someone around uh, other things in that movie were quite illegal but uh, I don't think that that kind of alternative data is, is, is one of those well, let's let's shift a little bit here. That you know, mm-hmm. we were talking about how uh, how financial
0: companies try to get an edge. Let's talk about how Walmart is trying to get an edge and Shopify as well. We we've seen this uh, partnership that was announced yesterday between Shopify and Walmart. And uh, I will be fully uh, I will fully disclose here that I love this deal. I think it's great for both companies. Uh, here's a little background for you if you don't know about the deal. Uh, so. Anybody, anybody on Shopify, any of their sellers that are interested, all they need to do is simply download uh, the, the Walmart plugin on their Shopify website. It's very simple, uh, and that allows them to have access to sell on the Walmart marketplace. Uh, and then, basically, according to Shopify's website. Sellers can introduce their brands to millions of new shoppers uh, on walmart 's curated marketplace with no additional fees, no subscription fees, no upkeep uh, at all so for me, this is a win win uh, there 's a couple takeaways I, I have here that we can to get the ball rolling uh, is first that Walmart gets access to shopify 's seller base and, and they, get, they get access to the best of shopify 's seller base so you know, they 're going to prioritize people that have uh, great customer service and great customer satisfaction, uh, but also try to bring in brands that kind of complement what they already have. We were just trying to talk about and think about things where Shopify brands would do really well. And, you know, it's not like household goods. Thing, thing, whatever brand or whatever good you want that a brand specifically comes to mind, like nobody's going to be buying ChapStick uh, or, or uh, Kleenexes from, from Shopify users, but it's things like outdoor hiking gear and, and things that really complement them uh, that does really well, isn't it? Yeah, apparel,
1: lifestyle brands, right? right. Those, those niche lifestyle brands that uh, have great marketing, have a great following because they have great marketing and it's, it's something that is either complementary to, to Walmart's or offerings or it gives them a leg in to, to areas, yeah, to a new kind, of, kind of like premium brands that does make sense for them to, 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 to go store. out and hold and, yeah. and, and, and purchase and keep in stores, right? Yeah, so, I think, so I think so you make a good point on the brands. I mean, the, you know... The, brands
0: that are on Shopify are synonymous with kind of digitally native, the, the young, focused, uh, the cool brands. And I think that that's something that Walmart has consistently tried to be, but they've never been able to be. They've, they've done this by buying brands like Jet.com and Bonobos. And I mean, like they've bought 15 or 20 brands over the last 15 years to try to get themselves into this e-commerce play, but none of them have really worked out all that well. So I, that's why I think this one, you, you said earlier that you thought this was even better than, than buying Shopify.
1: I, I think it is too. So, uh, you know, I, I think it was right before the the, the shutdowns uh, of the economy or or maybe right at it, we had an episode where uh, we were talking about Scott Galloway's article, should FedEx buy Shopify or should Shopify buy FedEx, actually. And and we started talking about a partnership with Walmart and Shopify or whether Walmart should buy Shopify for this exact reason. Mm -hmm. So uh, to be able to partner with them, I I imagine they take some kind of fee. Yeah, they haven't disclosed any fee disclosed structure it, but yet. But. Uh, you know, uh, th- that makes much more sense than, than trying to own uh, Shopify, that technology, uh, that business model, and, and trying to fit it into the Walmart business model. You're just taking the best of Shopify and putting it on your website, which is walmart.com, which increases traffic for those independent sellers that yeah. subscribe to Shopify, so it's a it's There's it's very almost like replicating the business model of third-party sellers from Amazon. Hopefully, they don't make the same mistakes or go down the same path that Amazon and their third party sellers are now going down r- right now. Yeah, which is another point that,
0: that I was going to get to, that it's not only, um, we'll talk about this article that came out last year, was Amazon passed its prime, and it was kind of that customers are beginning to have been for the last two years, really, that have kind of kind of been getting uh, begrudged and are not exactly happy with what they're getting from Amazon anymore, whereas in 2015, when it was kind of the major, the only major player, there, that nobody else really had anything to compete with with Amazon, uh, everybody was extremely satisfied with, with what they had, and mm-hmm. we'll get into some of those numbers in a little bit. Um, But some of the other takeaways here is that that Walmart gets a lot of new products at a major discount, just like we were talking about, that the Jet.com is extremely expensive. They spent over a billion dollars and then shut it down just two weeks before they announced this partnership. Um, And then I think the biggest selling point here uh, for, for me on this deal, is that it now makes Walmart's offerings even more integrated than it was before? The only problem with Amazon, really, is that you don't have any centralized location to go pick up things immediately. So you can't do the click it and chip it or click and pick it type of things. There's no curbside delivery. Uh, there's no centralized place to take uh, to take returns back, which we were talking about earlier. Returns can get up to nearly 40% of all That's online amazing. orders. It's, it's a really crazy a figure. But I mean, some people, you got to think, some people literally will buy, uh, when they go to buy shoes, they'll buy two or three different sizes and then just send back the other two. And and they don't even think about it. Uh, I don't do that, but some people do. Uh, but but this this gives this gives uh, Walmart a, a perfect opportunity to ha- bring in more goods, and it also gives Shopify an opportunity to have a centralized point of return. So I just think it's a win-win uh, for both people. So the the real discussion here that I wanted to get into is. How sharp is this? Uh, how sharp is this
1: challenge from Walmart and Shopify towards Amazon's uh, overall plan? I, I think it's significant because you take the the top, say five percent, or even, maybe it's the top one percent. I don't know the exact cutoff point of that, but I'm sure. Those Shopify sellers account for the, the bulk of the transactions. Yeah, well, right? there's, it's there's very over a million, stratospheric. So, you think about
0: it this way: there's only a mil- there's over a million uh, sellers on Shopify, and and Walmart only plans to get 1,200 of them in, in the first year. So you can kind of just do a little mm-hmm. back of the envelope math on yeah. That and and only there's, a few.
1: The, the, there's major companies doing millions, upon, you know, fifty, a hundred million dollars running off a of Shopify site because yep. it's so easy to do, and sometimes it complements their, their brick and mortar. Sometimes it's exclusively long on, uh, online. But uh, the, the the great thing about uh, you, you know, the, the there, there's a good difference between Amazon third-party sellers. Uh, a lot of them just uh, use Amazon for the SEO. They don't really have a, a web presence on their own. Shopify traditionally, you know, up until this point, especially those top sellers, they're in control of their brand. Yeah. they're in tr- control of their marketing. They just have that platform, and they've had to do their own SEO. Their own reach out, their own building of sometimes a cult following uh, to those brands. So, I, I think those third-party sellers are are much more valuable than a lot of the third-party sellers that you'll find on oh, Amazon. I,
0: I would agree completely. I mean, again, they, have, they have solidified brands, whereas those, those people, you're buying things from Walmart. I mean, I mean you're buying things from Amazon. You're, you're just looking for the cheapest price, mm-hmm. I mean, for the most part. You, you might look at some reviews every once in a while, but it's all based on price. You have no brand loyalty at all, where that's uh, not, not the case at all uh, with Shopify. But uh, as I was speaking to earlier that Amazon passed its Prime article, this was a Forbes report that came out last year, and they, they were basically talking about how Amazon was kind of losing its luster uh, with consumers. And we, we spoke about this on the Midday Market Update last week, as Kevin just mentioned. So here, here's a couple numbers for you. In 2015, 87% of respondents that use Amazon say they were very happy or extremely satisfied with Amazon as a company. Uh, just five years later, in 2020, that number is down to 54%. I mean, that's, that's a crazy five-year jump. Uh, and, and I just think it comes from increased competition and the fact that, I mean, Amazon's website has kind of gotten hazy. Like, there's, there's so many options. It's hard to sift through them. And then, <coughs> on top of that, excuse me, whatever you want, Amazon just plugs their Amazon product at the top you know the same thing that they're getting in trouble with doing that that's why people are getting pissed the the worker the the consumers and the sellers
1: uh, they, they are so so the EU is starting antitrust proceedings uh, against Amazon for doing just that they're they're taking their third party sellers uh, they see what works, what's selling, what's not they go knock off the product uh, and then that third party seller it has to pay advertising fees to get ranked up to where Amazon's knockoff on those products are. And I will say that the Amazon does a very good job at knocking off products. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're really good.
0: They're really good. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've gone to buy batteries or I've gone to buy toilet paper or something, you know, just a, a household good. And I've always ended up buying the Amazon because, like, okay, I'll save the $2. It's,
1: it's the same thing. I mean, they're, they're commoditized products. Uh, They they are. And so they do a really good job of that. I I think another trend that's interesting to me is that, you know, there's this push late last year into this year for one day delivery Mm -hmm. over the last 12 months. And COVID-19 has has, has, has kind of, I mean, it's obliterated that plan Uh, now. Amazon prime isn't two days or one day. It's like five or six days. I yeah. think they're finally starting to get on track again and shorting that, that time for especially non-essential items. Uh, but it goes back into the Walmart, uh, the, the, the Walmart where you can click it and pick it mm-hmm. right on, on just totally e-commerce leaving out Shopify and, uh, big box retailers like Walmart have been forced to go in all in on the strategy, and I, I think it appeals to a lot of people, right? Because then you can control returns. Yep. You're just driving to the store. So Best Buy is an example. You can buy something on Best Buy and, and drive to the store that day, pick it up. Uh, if it's not working or whatever, you can you know, drive back to, to Best Buy, which is a little bit annoying. But it's certainly less annoying than having to, to go somewhere. And, and package everything up and send it back and then wait on it to, to come back
0: yeah I'm, I think I think the click it and sh- the click it and pick it and the curbside delivery and uh, there are a couple other factors there but that's one of the reasons here's another another popping number from that uh from that amazon past its prime is that this is a big switch from 2018 to 2019. But in 2019, they actually tallied that a majority of consumers would rather shop at Walmart, which is again online, in store, or both, as compared to Amazon, just online, because that's that's all we have. Uh, <clears throat> which is crazy to me. I mean, it jumped from like 42% in 2018 to 54% in 2019. So people are really, I think they really like the optionality. They just like they like having having different options to to get their goods. I. I- totally
1: agree with that. I, I think it's uh, it's consumer tastes are, are kind of evolving a, a little bit more. So here's a question I got for you, and, and you know we'll, we'll just give our best opinion
0: on this. And and this is the build versus buy strategy, right? So you know, Amazon is known for building everything, building their technologies. It kind of supports their, their tax uh, minimi- minimization strategy, which they just continuously reinvest profits. Um, but at some point, I have to think that rather than buying or partnering with, with already established, well-growing uh, tech companies, y- you might eventually get kind of caught. Like you, you might get to a point at which there are other people that can do things better than you, and, and you might need to buy them or, or partner with them, and that's not Amazon's mojo. Do you think that you think that we're getting to that point where Amazon might be running out of uh, runway on, on innovation? Do you think people can keep up with them?
1: I, I think so. I, I, I think the, 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 they are running out of that runway. It still could be pretty long right now. I mean, it's, right. it's not a short runway uh, as, as we see here in twenty in, you know, mid-2020, uh, but, but it's getting shorter by the day. But it's still probably a really long uh, headwind. I, I think Walmart was in that position too when it was brick and mortar. It's, it's kind of a case study of, of uh, of, uh, of Amazon falling down Walmart's original path where they dominated stores and at a certain time their the, the growth there was nowhere to, to grow at the, the rate that they had been by opening up new stores so they went on uh, buy, the, the buying spree of e-commerce that so mm-hmm. they realized that those models didn't fit into their original business model so they're trying a partnership which limits risk on both sides and it makes the most sense to me yeah, I'm actually
0: I, – I do think that other people are catching up with Amazon. I think I – got a couple of thoughts. One, Amazon has a cash – just, I mean, cash printer. they got a money oh, counter yeah. that goes brrr whenever they want it, and they can pull from Amazon Web Services whenever they want. Uh, so I think they're never going to run out of cash, which is a good thing. But I, I also think that um, – well i lost my train of thought uh it's the the, the ifp okay. uh but it's it, yeah we'll, we'll come back to it um i, I think it'd be good i remember i thought i think it will be good for amazon because i think they they've got they have lulled into a little bit of that sleep where they haven't really updated their website that much to at least I, I shop on it often and i not, haven't noticed a difference i think this will be good they need some pressure uh, i they think do. this will this will put a little pressure on their back to to do better um Uh, Who do who do you think wins in this? By the way, Amazon. I mean, uh, Walmart or Shopify. Who do you think comes out of this this deal better? I
1: I think that uh, I I think Shopify does just because there's more upside potential. Uh, But I I think it's you know it's cliche to say win win deal for for both of them. But uh, it should be a win win as as and I don't think Walmart's going to start copying those brands because there's no way either. There's such brand loyalty and kind of cult status. A lot of sellers on Shopify that mm-hmm. you can't really copy that. Yeah, no, you can copy no. commodities, but you can't really copy that that marketing message and that cinema and attitude that they use to, to, to sell their products on on Shopify. So I think the upside potential Shopify has a much higher, just up because it's younger, it's a younger company with, with more room to grow. Uh, but I think walmart needs it as an essential piece to take on amazon in the future uh yeah i
0: echo all that i but i think <clears throat> i agree with you i think shopify wins solely on the, the return basis uh i think amazon i think walmart's going to allow any returns from mm-hmm. any uh shopify website to go into a walmart return so that's huge for it's them. huge yeah uh, so i that that cannot be overstated at all uh but okay Let's go to our long shorts. We'll go to uh, to another brand that has that is edgy and has extremely uh, high brand loyalty. We spoke mm-hmm. about it. We speak about it all the time. Okay, if, if you get sick of listening to us talk about Tesla, uh, tell me, and, and we'll talk about something else. But I, I absolutely love Tesla. I'm very long. Me and Seth were talking today uh, about just the, the future profitability and future value of Tesla. I think I already know your answer to this, Kevin. Uh, but Seth and I are of the belief that Tesla will be the most valuable company in the world in 2030, are you long or short Tesla being the long, the, the most valuable company in the world in 2030?
1: You know, I, I was driving around this weekend here in Chattanooga and I saw a Tesla and it's like, you know what? Those are, are great cars. Hmm. I, I think I'd, I might buy one, one of these days yep. not anytime soon, but maybe one of maybe might when, when that, when my 20 year old Mercedes falls apart, yeah. I might buy a Tesla, but I don't think it's going to be the most expensive or the most valuable company uh, in, in 2030. Okay. I, I think it's a, a car company that, that, the, the, you know is a software company as well I, I think there's just too many distractions uh, for that and and I think I think their success will bring on competitors I, I think Nikola is, is going to be a, a strong competitor to it so <coughs> short okay uh- I'll touch on that last point.
0: I don't think Nikola will ever be a strong, a massive competitor to Tesla to, to begin with. I don't think they're really aiming to, to go into consumer cars. They've got their truck, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I am I'm very long this idea. I definitely think they will be the most valuable car, the company in the world. The, the reason that we're having this right now is just yesterday, they became the most uh, valuable car company in the world. They overtook uh, Toyota. They're now worth $180 billion or something. Uh, so they're they're the most valuable car company in the world. Uh, the reasons I think they're going to be the most valuable company in the world is uh, is if robo-taxis play out well. Uh, they've already got uh, nearly a million Teslas on the road now. Uh, if they're able to monetize those Teslas uh, as a robo-taxi, it's very simple. It's just like the, the Uber app, but you get on the Tesla app, get, t- get an autonomous Tesla to pick you up. You, you basically get to buy a car and make it profitable immediately. I mean, that is a huge uh, pull towards Tesla. I think they're going to sell I think they're going to be the most the, the most dominant car company in the biggest market which is uh, China and in Asia so yeah I'm, I'm very long that idea uh here's another one for
1: you can I might change if I ever see a robo taxi
0: so it, you're my, my basis is pretty much solely that I mean they, the reason that they they're so far ahead on everybody else on autonomous driving they've got billions of miles of autonomous uh you know all of those models are all based mm-hmm. on you need data you need road data and they've got like 10 or 20x road data on anybody else so there's so much further ahead than waymo and then uber and lyft and everyone else on autonomous driving which is alternative data yeah sure is all right uh we'll do the last one real quick so can apple become the leading the world's leading uh glasses producer so they they came out with the apple watch in 2015 by 2018 they were already the the highest selling watch producer in the world do you think they can do the same thing with glasses
1: i i do i'll I'll go long even though I don't really like the idea of of seeing text messages, talking to people who see text messages, yeah, they're not be in front to of them. me. Uh, I, I. I it's kind of weird because you talk to people now. You know, 10 years ago, you talked to people and everyone's looking at their phone, right. which is just normal now. And right. now they're they're checking their watch yep. the, the entire time, so they're just going to. So I don't like the idea of it, but yeah, I think they can. I'm uh, long.
0: Yeah, I'm long as well. When it, when it comes to accessories, they're, they're also the, the largest uh, uh, um, EarPod ear pod uh, yeah. seller. So I think whatever Apple wants to slap their brand on to as a wearable option. I think they'll probably become the the dominant player there. Uh, So, yeah, uh, whenever they do end up releasing, there's kind of some rumors that it might be this year, it could be next year. I think whenever they do the the next big release, that will uh, become inevitable. So if you're Warby Parker or any of the other uh, uh, glass producers, I would be... I'd be shivering. I would, too. Uh, but there's that. So, hey, we want to thank Carrier Direct for their contributions today. You guys are always helping us out. Thank, thank you, Diane, uh, Peter, and Ryan over there at Carrier Direct. Uh, we got to put that coffee down tomorrow at 1. Do you know what you're talking about? At uh, 12. 12 p.m. Uh, at 12, It's Talking about sales video narratives. Great guest. Something you're very good at. Well, all right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Again, we're on a six-day, 23-and-a-half-hour break. See you next time.